Gibbs and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. All right, 3 o'clock hour here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Happy Thursday to you as we're live from the Auction Community Studios. I think just about anybody who's paid any attention to the Cardinals so far this year, um, and, and I, I know this is how we feel about it, I... I I didn't expect the defense to be as good as it's been. I didn't expect the offense to be as bad as it's been, right? They're, they're yeah. two and two for an entirely different way that I expected them to get there. Like, I thought offensively they were going to have to score a bunch of points to cover up for the fact that their defense wasn't very good. Look, it's been exactly the opposite so far this year. I mean, put it another way. If Vance Joseph was the head coach and Cliff Kingsbury was your offensive coordinator, <laughs> you'd be like, hey, it, did they need to get, like, did they need to fire the coordinator? No, I'm, I'm laughing, but you're not wrong. If it just, There'd be if, some conversation about, man, Joseph, they need an OC, yeah. Right, Vance, right. You got an offensive quarter, you can't get any points in the first half? First quarter? First half, like at 13? Like, come on. Like, you know, I mean, it's it was like, is this the next Mike McCoy? <laughs> no, what? No, what? I'm being honest. If he was the, vet, I know, if he was I know. the OC, but not the head so coach. Cold. That's just so cold. That's so honest, but it's so cold. I, I love know, it. But you know what? I'm not, I don't listen. I can, be, I can be honest and cold. I don't listen. I have, I, it, the reality is just reality. Hold on, Vance gonna, Joseph uh, is the head coach of the Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury is the offensive coordinator. Are we not saying, is this the next Mike McCoy? This offense is no good. It's not, they're not scoring any damn points. You know, like, he better figure this out quickly. Well, they've got to get a new offensive coordinator. Hold on. I'm going to go turn up the thermostat in here. Oh, God. God. Get a sweater out of the car or something. It's, just a different way well, to look at it. No, How would you view Cliff if, 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 if he was if just he was, the offensive coordinator? If he was just the offensive coordinator. Be a just whole a lot, different way to look at it. Just bringing it up. It'd be a whole lot more replaceable if he were, you know, if, yes. with, the, with the money and not the yes. five-year contract extension that he got. Um, Vance met with the media today, the defensive coordinator. And again, hats off to Vance. I Again, this is my personal thoughts on this one, but I think you echo them. I, he has done an incredible job so far this year with a defense that in their last 10 quarters has been extraordinary. I mean, it's not just Carolina. It's not just Baker. It was the second half in overtime against the Raiders. It was against the Rams. This defense has played really, really good over the last 10 quarters. And yet the numbers don't indicate that necessarily, especially Kansas City, Kansas City game. Well, there's that. Yeah. But like you brought up in the last segment, the sacks, they've only got four of them. You know, they haven't, right. they, it, to the eye, Interceptions. they haven't put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Doesn't matter to Vance. That's not important. It, 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 it's not. Obviously, Sachs over the years has, has led to defense having success, but you know, it's about winning the game. You know, I think our win rates, as far as rushing, has been high. I think our system, the history of our system, you know, people don't hold the ball. The ball's out fast, so sack numbers don't concern me. You know, one number concerns me, that's winning a football game, and that comes down to playing good, solid football and winning third downs and winning red zone and not, not giving up big plays. And, you know, if, if sacks fall in there, I'll take them. But outside of that, that doesn't bother me at all. But he's right. But he's right. Okay. Like they, these quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball so fast. Yeah. Like yeah. Listen. I mean, if the if you if you have great coverage and he's got to hold on to it a little longer, that's when you're going to get your quarterback hits. You're going to get your pressures. But a man, a quarterback's taking a two step drop and getting rid of the ball, delivering a quick slant. Like there's nothing you could do. You're not getting any pressure on him. No. I, I and I'm I'm just offering this as a alternative viewpoint here. All right. Okay, okay. I just Googled NFL teams sacks per game. Okay. Yeah. I know. Philadelphia one, Dallas two, San Francisco three. Okay, how many sacks per game for the number one team in the league? Uh, sacks per game four. Per four game. sacks per game, and the Cardinals have four total. 
Okay. Uh, Dallas, 3.8. San Francisco, 3.8. Tampa Bay, 3.5. Buffalo, 3.3. Houston, a 2.8. That's the first bad team I've gotten to. Right. On this list. New England, 2.8. Mediocre team. Kansas City, 2.8. Denver, 2.8. You see where I'm going with this. Can I I just say something? And I'm not saying. I'm only bringing this up. I am not saying this is the end-all, be-all. You have to have great sack numbers to be a great team. But But I was curious to see how many of the great teams had great sack numbers, and a lot of them do. Do you know how many sacks the Philadelphia Eagles defense had against Carson Wentz in Washington a couple weeks ago? Nine. Nine. Yeah, it got nine. skewed a little bit by one game. But yes. nine. So like if you like if the Cardinals had played Carson Wentz in, in Washington that week, they would have had a lot of sacks. Okay? That offensive line is a disaster. That quarterback holds on to the ball forever. It's just like sometimes like these it does depend on who you're playing. Agreed. And they they Philadelphia feasted, feasted on Carson Wentz and that Awful Washington line. San Francisco feasted on the LA Rams to the tune of seven sacks, the team that the Cardinals had just played the yeah, week before. But that defense, yeah, that defense is really, really good. I can see them being very yeah, high in that I, category. Again, I'm not saying that this is proof positive that Vance is wrong, but but for him, it says it doesn't matter. Um, as far as Jalen Hurts, and we opened our show with a great conversation about Jalen Hurts and how much he's changed. When you looked back on that game back in late December oh. of 2020 when Hurts and Kyler Murray and it was just like a video a game. game. The a numbers game. they were putting up. He talked about the growth of Jalen Hurts since their first matchup. He's grown a lot since the time we played two years ago. The scheme hadn't changed much, right? That's that's Frank Wright and those guys, and it's 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 Frank Wright's guys as far as Nick and Shane. So the scheme's pretty much you know the same outside. I'd have Zach there. You know, it's more eleven versus twelve personnel, but the concept hadn't changed on the quarterback, and that's that's huge for that kid. But he has mastered it, and he's playing on a high level. We talked a lot about run-pass options, this sure. collegiate-style offense that yeah, Philly basically plays. Run the same RPO amount as the top Power 5 conferences do in college football. They run it just as much, and t- more than twice as much as the normal NFL team runs it. So yeah, they love the RPOs. They're very successful at it. Nobody's really been able to stop them at it. Um, you've got you've had some time to watch the film and get you got four games now if you're Vance to go over and try to see what they do. And as I talked about with you yesterday, I I couldn't tell you what what do you try to take away from them? There's just so many good weapons. We were joking around before about their weaknesses, their special teams because they have no weakness on offense and defense. And that's true. Like people have said, this weakness is the special teams. I don't know what you take away. Do you take away the tight end? He's been great. Do you take away the running back? He's been great. Take away AJ Brown? He's been great. Do you try to take away Hertz's ability to run? Because when he runs, he's been great. Yeah. They just they just they're just good. Just really good. A lot of weapons. Yeah. It's he's got his and, and I we talked about this. You're right. We talked about this yesterday and I even countered with the idea that you, you know week one you're playing the Chiefs you knew you were bringing a knife to a gunfight you, you just you just thought we don't we don't have enough to match up with that right I'm starting to worry that this is a similar set of circumstances like just looking at Philly's offense going how are you going to stop that how are you going to now again that's selling Vance Joseph short and I've been selling Vance Joseph short all off season and all season long so I probably need to give him a little more due and a little more credit a little more respect and say he's pretty good defensive coordinator he'll figure something out but that Eagles offense with the best offensive line in the National Football League great running game they're they're just mauling teams, 200 yards a couple times this year, two really good running backs or wide receivers, one of the best tight ends in the game. It's just it's, it's Kansas City-like in that you're trying to figure out how the hell do you stop something I bet you like they that. blitz more than they blitzed at any point this year. 
Well, I'll bet you the Cardinals blitz more than at any point this year. You think so? Yeah, because you, you're not going to win you might be, rushing four. Yeah. You're not, like, you can't win against that offensive line. The only way to get through is a blitz. Yeah. So if you say, I'm going to I'm going to take my four best linemen and I'm going to match up against their offense, you're not going to win. You know, like, th- those guys don't even allow you to get near the quarterback. Of course, with Vance, as you would expect, the topic of Isaiah Simmons and his snap count came up. I mean, it was a plan, but he's earned a right. I mean, he's had two great weeks of practice, you know, and for our young guys, that's that's the key, in my opinion. The process of winning games starts in practice, right? So, you know, as he's practiced better, he's played better. You know, and that's that's part of being a good pro. But I've been proud of Isaiah. He's practiced well. He's played well the last two weeks. So that's the trend so far. So, so if he can stay that way, I mean, he helped us win, obviously. I mean, his talent shows when he's playing, you know, good, sound football. So um, I'm proud of him, you know, for not pouting and just working and working and working and getting better each week. And it's shown on, on game day. Has the corner been turned on Isaiah Simmons? No. No. Not yet. We need to see it for several more weeks, right? Several more weeks of him playing in the 80 percentile snap-wise and him making plays. I I, I want to say the corner's been turned with Isaiah Simmons, but you can't say that after just a game or two. No, I mean, listen, he made one of the biggest plays of the year so far when he forced that fumble on that pass from Carr to Renfro when he jarred the ball loose. It was one of the biggest plays of the year, without a doubt. The Cardinals won the football game because of it. So, you know, I'm okay with him, you know, not not being the the perfect linebacker, but being able to make plays like that. Phoenix Suns are coming off of a 64-win season and a very traumatic exit in the second round of the playoffs. Do the expectations remain high? for this season at the national level. We'll tell you what they're saying at the national level next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons 2 till 6 on Arizona Sports. All right, I'm going to kick off this conversation about the Suns and the expectations uh, of this with this stat that Gambo sent me today in the email. And it makes sense when you think about it. And I just want to explain it as simply as I possibly can. Okay. One defining number for every team in the NBA's Western Conference. So for the Suns, that number is 59.3. And here's the reason why the defining number for the Suns is 59.3. Last year... The Suns became the 32nd team in the NBA. So in the history of the NBA, only 32 teams have done what the Suns did last year. Okay. In losing fewer than 20 games over an 82-game schedule. Okay. okay. 32 times. That, that's that's the, it. That's it. 32 times a team has lost less than 20 games okay, that's in a regular season. really, really special then. Okay. Yeah, it that's is. That's really special. So they had a special season last yes. year. We all, a record-setting franchise. Special regular season. season. We won't talk about the playoffs. Yes. 31 of the previous 32 teams won on average the next season. 59.3 games. Okay. In other words, uh-huh. hey, it's not a fluke. It's not some random kind of, oh, they won a lot, then they just fell right off the face of the earth, or they really plummeted back down. Those teams, on average, won nearly 60 games the next season. You're the, that good. You tend to continue to be that good the next year. The worst winning number, winning ga- game, winning games, was 51 after winning... You know, they mentioned 32 teams that won 20 20 or less. less, Right. The worst number of wins for a team in that category was 51. Yeah. 
So even like it's like it's really hard to go from a great team unless there's a massive injury to go from a great team to a mediocre team. It just doesn't happen. So with that as your context, keep in mind Zach Lowe, one of the top NBA insiders over at ESPN.com, frequently okay. heard on NBA podcasts, Bill Simmons, et cetera, et cetera. His annual NBA tiers. I don't have a problem with this. Some people may. Okay. I know a lot of people are gonna have a problem with this. I really don't. Ranking the league's best and worst teams. Teams. Okay. Um, he, he described it as his inner circle, who are his most elite teams in the NBA. And you kind of gave it away, but that's okay. The Warriors, mm-hmm. the Bucks, the Clippers, the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Nuggets. And the first thing he writes, literally the first thing he writes in the I'm story. I'm sorry, Suns fans. I'm sorry, Suns fans. The mild surprise <laughs> here might be the Sixers and the Nuggets over the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns fans have a gripe. He's admitting. You have a gripe. Yeah. You, you, you have an issue with me not putting your team in your inner circle? I, I understand. I get it. You should be good. He, he points to all the reasons why he thinks they're going to be good. He, he talks about he almost excuses what happened last year in the postseason as it being kind of understandable. He thinks that Cam Johnson in the starting lineup will be great, that Mikel Bridges will be really good, that Aiton will, will play better this year and will be like a good pathway to kind of changing up the offense a little bit. He says great things about him. He just says the West is going to be so much better this year than it was a year ago. I think he thinks that, more than anything, works against him. Yeah, Phoenix. year four of the poll, George Kawhi Leonard, those guys are finally healthy. They added John Wall. They're going to have an incredible bench. They're going to be deep. So a lot of people like, you know, the Clippers. Then he mentions the Nuggets. And, uh, you know, Jokic, you know, without Jamal Murray and, you know, without some, without Porter and now getting those guys back and being able to move Aaron Gordon a power forward and Contavious Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown. He just really likes Denver, their defense. He thinks it's going to be a lot easier for Jokic having support around him now. So he's just really high on Denver. So, you know, he doesn't have the Suns in that upper tier. He's got, you know, like you said, Golden State, Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Nuggets. The interesting thing to me was, you know, three teams in the East, right? He's got the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Sixers in the East, and three teams in the West, the Warriors, the Clippers and the Nuggets. We can make a real good argument that the Warriors are better because they're the NBA champs. Mm-hmm. We can make a real good argument that the Clippers are better if Kawhi Leonard's healthy. Okay, mm-hmm. The Nuggets is where it really just came down to the Suns or the Nuggets. And he, I don't think we can make an argument that Memphis is better than the Suns. I don't think we can make an argument that Minnesota is better. I don't think we can make an argument that Dallas is better. Even though Dallas beat them, right. I right. would still say the Suns are the better team. They lost Brunson. So it really just came down to that top tier. He, some for some some reason he likes the Nuggets getting Jamal Murray, Murray and Porter back better than he likes the Suns. And and, and look to be fair uh, to him, you know the the only the only experience we have with the Suns taking on the Nuggets recently has been the Jamal Murray less Nuggets, right? I, they, yeah, and Suns I think and four, and I think Suns and four, and I think he's a very impactful player. You said you don't really have a problem with this. I don't. I mostly don't have a problem with this because it is just one guy's opinion, and it, it's 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 fine. I, I think. The the Suns, you know, are probably going to take a little bit of a step back from what they did last year, maybe even a lot of a step back last year to a win total that's more in the, you know, mid-50s, right? 55, 56, that's still an incredible season in the NBA, and I still think as long as they're healthy at the end of the year, I think
think that they can contend for a championship. Nothing has really changed in, in that regard. I think the big thing, and he points this out in the article too, will be, all right, the Suns went for Kevin Durant this offseason. They didn't get him. They still have assets. They still have the money. I, I don't know who's signing the checks over there and who's making the decision. But if there's an ability to go after somebody at the trade deadline who could help them, the Suns have every asset in the world to go get but that they guy saving those they assets want. for window one or window two? Because as we've said all along, there's two windows. Yeah. There's the Chris Paul window. You got to win right now. He'll be 38 years old in the playoffs next year. That's window this one. This window is closing. This guy doesn't have a whole lot left in the tank. Then there's window number two. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, that window that could be open for a lot longer if you added the right piece. Now, are you going to give up assets to go get somebody to help the Chris Paul window, or would you rather wait and hope that a Shea Gilgis Alexander becomes available? He wants out of Oklahoma City. You make a blockbuster trade, and now Shea Gilgis Alexander is playing with Booker. You know, I, I think this is a cop-out answer, but I think a lot of it depends on who's available around the deadline. Who's out there? You know, like who's, and I don't know, uh, it's impossible to predict such a thing. Is there a window one guy who's available? You know, who you look at and just go, oh man, that guy, we get that guy and it's championship. We get that guy and we're the favorite. We get that guy and, and I don't, if that guy isn't available at the deadline, then I think it becomes, to your point, more of a window two acquisition, more of a long-term guy, a, 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 a Gilgis Alexander or somebody like that. I think a lot of it depends on who? Who's out there? Who's available? What what team has decided? We'll talk more about this. You know. I don't know if you get somebody to put you over the... You know, in the past, oh, you've you had could. a Blake Griffin buyout, a LaMarcus Aldridge buyout. You know, you've had... I mean, like, who did Milwaukee add when they won it? Like, who did who did the Golden State Warriors add last year when they won it? It's Wasn't a, it Brooke Lopez in Miami? Wasn't he the big... In Miami? The, no, in uh, Min, uh, Milwaukee. I'm no, sorry, I meant to say him. Milwaukee. I thought they had I him. I thought they added him at some point. No, there was somebody else. I have to go back and look and remind myself. I don't know. I just, I'm not going to dismiss it because I don't know who's going to be available. I don't know who that person is. I can't sit here and say with certainty on October 6th, 6th that nobody's going to be via, available at the deadline Drew that can help Holiday, the Suns. Drew Holiday was the guy that got Milwaukee over the hump, but they traded for him. Yeah, and he was in the offseason, off right? He wasn't right. That he was, was a trade with the New uh, Orleans. I just, I'm not, you can say that. That if you want, I'm not going to say it. You think I'm that not, might be a guy that can get there you can over the hump? Always be somebody, okay. of course. Yeah, there can. And I just don't know if that guy's going to be available or not. I, I tell you, of all the teams that he's got in his inner circle, the one I might have the problem with the most is the Celtics, just because of their coach. I think that situation with is dope out for the year. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that situation is. I don't know if I would. I look the talent of the Celtics is undeniable, but he was so instrumental in making that happen last year. I mean, remember around January or so, that was a fairly average basketball team. They worked oh, yeah. out great, and they you know hit the switch and boom, they were great. I don't know how they responded to a different coach. That's that's some serious next level chaos right there. To have your whole coach suspended a year because of what happened there. I don't know if I'd put them in the inner circle. You know, we always talk about that, like, oh, can you overcome the distractions? And a lot of times you think, okay, they, they can, but sometimes they can't, yes, right? sometimes they can't. I mean, a lot of times, we can, can ASU overcome the distraction of what was going on with the investigation? We was talking about last year when they were favored. Many people thought that they could win the Pac-12 last year, and they flopped. Yeah. Why did they flop? Well, afterwards, it was a distraction. The Suns are going through crazy distractions this year. The Celtics are. You will see. But a lot of times you think these players can overcome that and sometimes they can't.
When we come back, are the Cardinals at their best just playing recess? What exactly does that mean? We'll tell you next in the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons, 2 till 6 on the Arizona Sports App. I'll be curious to get your answer on this. If I say the word to you, recess, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Kickball championship, sixth grade. Okay. We won it. Mr. Rom's class came down us against Mr. Ryan's class. Kickball championship. Were you the uh, walk-off game-winning kick? Don't remember. No, he won. I was the, me and Jack Alfieri were the captains <laughs> of the team. Me and Jack Alfieri. Okay. And uh, we were the captains of the team. But uh, big rivalry. Mr. Rom's class against Mr. Ryan's class. And in like four classes in sixth grade, you play it. When you got to sixth grade, you got the kickball. You got to play kickball. That was your recess. You didn't get to do that in fifth grade, fourth grade. You had other stuff to do. But in sixth grade... Kickball. Yeah. And so you go out there and you play, and so that was your recess, and uh, all season long we ended up winning the kickball championship. It's funny. I I think of recess, and there's a lot of kickball memories, but I also remember, like, um, some kind of version of dodgeball that we used to play where, like, one kid would... Asses up? uh, No, no, not that. But, like, one kid would line up on, like, the wall of the cafeteria, Mm -hmm. and then another kid would try to kick the ball and hit the kid who was lined up on the wall. Like, so you'd have to, like, dodge the ball as it was... Like, you're lined up against the wall, and somebody would try to kick it It wasn't like your face was against the wall. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, not like that. Not like that. You're, like, facing the ball, and somebody would kick it towards you, and if it hit you, you were out, and you had... To, you would switch. And I remember one kid got hit so hard in like the side of his head. Oh, he was like bleeding from his ear. It was it was it was nasty. Like everybody was talking about that in the elementary school for days and days and days. Well, he's going to learn have to learn to get out of the way. Apparently, the reason why I'm bringing up recess is this great NFL live conversation <laughs> yesterday on ESPN. Dan Orlovsky, they had a big conversation about the Cardinals' offense, and he said it feels like sometimes it's just like okay. Tyler, recess. It almost feels like, and I know it's not this, that, hey, Lamar, or excuse me, Kyler, oh. it's recess. Yeah. <laughs> Go to your that, Honestly, what it right. feels like sometimes, <laughs> even in the quarterback run game, I'm like, where are any details of this offense? <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he went on, and I, I think he's on to, I don't know about the recess part, but I think he's on to something here. The Cardinals' identity. He's like, I'm not even sure the Cardinals know what their offensive identity is. If you watch this offense right now early on in the games, there's no symmetry. There's no detail. There's no rhyme or reason. I don't need, like, oftentimes we have these conversations of, well, we lack an identity. I don't know if they actually know what their identity can be. Mm-hmm. It's not just, well, DeAndre Hopkins isn't there because Zach Ertz is playing good and Hollywood Brown is playing good. I think they're lacking such of an understanding of, Well, um, this is who we are from a scheme. This is our tree, so to speak. And these are the things we want to do, both their principles, but also building off of it. Agree? Disagree? I think in some ways we kind of figured out what, what, what their identity, not that what their, their identity is, because I'm sure that they, they, they want to have a different identity, but the, the Kyler Murray rushing numbers. When he rushes, they wins. When he doesn't, they lose. When he's only rushes, you know, a medium amount of times, they're a 500 team. Like, 
Their identity is if the Kyler rushes nine times or more, they're going to win the game. Mm-hmm. If you hold them to five or, or under five, they're going to lose the game. And anywhere between five and nine, they're a 500 team. Is that not the identity of this football team? You may not want it to be the identity. You may want the identity to be a hard physical team that runs the ball or, but, you know, a, a vertical passing attack that uses, a, but it's not right now. To Orlowski's, to, uh, to Orlowski's point, though, if that is their identity, I don't feel like they lean into that. You know, it's almost like it's almost like they have to be convinced that Kyler needs to run the ball that much. Like they're trying to avoid it in we, the first half. We were talking about that earlier in the week. Like it's almost like they're trying to see: Can we beat you without Kyler Murray running around a bunch? Can we beat you with Kyler being a pocket quarterback? And if we can't, well, okay. In case of emergency, break glass. Let's have Kyler run around a little bit and see what happens. If they were truly embracing that as our, their identity. I think they'd use it earlier in games. I think they'd embrace it earlier yeah, well, in games. I'm saying it's they don't tr- want it to be their identity. It's ended up being but their it has identity. ended up being their identity. And, and, and that's, honestly, I mean that number is so stark. Yeah, it's, it's just stark. it stands out like a sore thumb, man. Like how do you like how do you not you know how do you not look at that number and say this is who they are? And Arlovsky was very complimentary of Kyler. He said, "Look, if it does become recess ball." Kyler's so talented. We've seen it this year. He can win games like that, right? He he almost single-handedly won that game against the Vegas Raiders playing a recess style of football right, in the fourth some quarter. Some people think that it's trash <laughs> that you play like that. Some people some, some people think that that's trash that you have so, to play like that. Paging LaShawn McCoy, pick up white paging phone LaShawn McCoy. Here's one more from Orlovsky. Kyler, well, fits Cliff's system. I really don't believe can thrive in Cliff's system. Ooh. And I often say that in the league. This is the NFL. You should not fit anywhere. You should be in a place where you can thrive. I honestly believe Kyler would thrive way more in a Kyle Shanahan type of system. Oh, yeah. Because the, the premise of that is creating those throwing lanes that you're talking about key with the aspect of Lost under center, points. play action pass, right. moving him. Yes. Right now, this feels like we're just going to go attack green grass. And if we see it the same way, great. And if we don't, quarterback go make a yeah. play. And at times it works because he's so talented, but that is not something that is reliable nor repeatable. The panel was Orlovsky, Laura Rutledge, Marcus Spears, and, and Keyshawn, Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson. And you should have seen them all nodding their heads when he said the Kyle Shanahan thing. I mean, they were all like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because oh, Keyshawn, yeah. um, and we've, you know, we we have a good relationship with Keyshawn. We have him on every now and then. You, you two like to go at each other in a, in a mostly fun-spirited kind of way. He brings up Kyler's height as being a disadvantage in a traditional offense. I don't know that the Arizona Cardinals paid two hundred plus million dollars for a guy to run around all by himself back there to try to make plays. They want him to be able to do things within the pocket. So I think his size and, and look, I'm not against shorter quarterbacks, but for whatever reason, in the history of the National Football League, smaller statue guys at that position. They just don't last long. Not only do they not last long, they struggle in certain situations because they can't see. They need throwing lanes. They got to run around to be able to deliver the football. You cannot win on a consistent basis like that. We're going to find out. 
I mean, this was a three-win football team that went to what, five wins and an eight wins and an 11 in the playoffs, and they're two and two right now. Um, winning consistently, I don't think that that's an issue. I think you could win eight, nine, ten games consistently with Kyler Murray. The question is, how far can you go? Can he win a Super Bowl? Can you get to the playoffs and win three games? Can you get to the playoffs and win four games if you have to? And that's the thing we just don't know when you're playing those good football teams. It, it, there's no question. Like everybody, look, everybody's talking about this right now. Man, I wish the Cardinals would line up under center more and do that stuff and run more play action. And yeah, I get it. Like, because a lot of teams do that and it's successful. And you keep the defense guessing because they don't know if you're handing the ball off. And the Cardinals don't run a lot of play action. No, they hard, run RPO, but they don't run a lot all. of play yeah, action. You yeah, know, I know we've talked about Kyler. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna take the snap from under center, turn around and pretend you're giving the ball to the running back, you're going to take your eyes off the defense. Your back is going to be turned to the defense. Do they not feel confident that when he turns back to look around, he's going to be able to figure it out quickly? Because a lot's going to change from the time you take the snap and then you go fake that handoff and you're split. You're, you're for a, a second and a half. You're not looking at the defense. Then you turn around and you look at the defense. It's not going to look at the same as what you saw in a second and a half ago. Yeah. No, it's not. And and do they are they limited in what they want to do with Kyler because of that? Are they yes. do they do they lack the identity? I mean the one thing that was clear from the conversation and I, and I watched all of it was that they they credited the Baltimore Ravens for not only drafting a guy like Lamar Jackson, but saying, this is what our offense is going to be because we have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, right? Like, because this is what he's about, this is what we're going to do. And they all didn't seem to think that the Cardinals had done the same thing. Like, with Kyler, you know, this is who he is, this is what he does, let's make the offense about that. And to a certain extent, it has with what you're talking about, not running as many play actions. But it's still, I mean, look, we're on four years now, working on four years of Cliff and Kyler, I still don't know what their offensive identity is. I still I still don't know what their strength is offensively necessarily. There were times a couple years ago I thought it was their ability to run the ball. Not just Kyler, but all of them. They were really good at running the football. I just don't know what that is I remember right talking now. to a bunch of the guys the first time they got here. And what's your identity? That first season was, we're going to play fast. We're going to get to the line. We're going to wear teams out. We're going to get to the line of scrimmage. It was almost Chip Kelly-like with the Eagles. We're going to get the line of scrimmage. We're going to play so fast. We're going to wear all these teams out. That's what everybody thought the identity was going to be. I remember talking to guys like AQ Shipley. You know, guys that were like, "Man, we just like we we, we play we're playing so fast that these other teams are not going to make be able to make defensive substitutions, and we're just going to wear them out because we're going to get to the line of scrimmage. We're going to call a play. We're going to run it. We're going to be back to the line of scrimmage. We're going to run another play. We're going to run eighty five plays every single game. We're just going to blitzkrieg everybody. Yeah, and I think that's what the identity was supposed to be. But it didn't end up being it. Because no, it, you remember that first year. Oh, of course. We of were course. all we were looking to see that. how fast are they going to play. Remember the false starts that Kyler would get called for because of the clap, right? Like yeah. he would clap for yeah. the snap, and the right? Russell, like, and like, no, can't no, 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 you can't do that. And, 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 and part of what's gumming that up oh, a little that's bit. That's a good memory. Yeah, that's a yeah, good memory. Yeah, that's a great, I, I totally remember but that. part of what's gumming that up is that when the play comes in, we've how many timeouts do they have to burn because they're not quite sure what they want to do, right? They're kind of slowing themselves down like we saw this last week. Well, I think they realize that they can't play that way. Like, in, in, in the NFL, you can't play that way all the time. The Eagles are flying real high right now. Are they <laughs> flying high? Are they going? Are they going to fly too close to the sun oh, when they no. arrive in the valley this weekend? Good one, Mitch. Here A little little uh, Icarus action there. We'll try to find out next on the Burns and Gambo Show. 
Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports. Welcome back. It's the Burns and Gambo Show, flagship station of the Arizona Cardinals, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. And, of course, a big game coming up on Sunday. Taking on the 4-0 Eagles and joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Lines. Preview this game to talk about the Eagles. He is their beat writer for 94 WIP in Philly. Elliot Shore Parks, our guest here on Burns and Gambo. Elliot, I'm Dave. This is Gambo. Welcome to the show. We appreciate your time. Yep, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. When, when, when did it change for the Eagles? I know we, you know, we had the Phoenix Suns here. They were bad for a while, and then they went in the bubble, and they kind of had broke out in the bubble. Then they were in the NBA Finals. The next thing you know, yeah. when you look back at the Eagles, what, 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 when did it turn where the Eagles became one of the best teams in the league? It's a great question. I, I, you know, I think the one moment you would probably look at is last year. They were uh, two and five. They went to Detroit. They started to run the ball. They won that game big. And from there, they went on a run to the playoffs where I believe they only lost two games the rest of the year that they tried to win. They did sit their starters for the last game of the season. But when they were 2-5, and five, things were really ugly. There was talk of potentially firing Nick Sirianni. You, you had to wonder if the players really believed in what he was selling. But the fact they were able to go on the run really turned everything around uh, here in Philadelphia. But also, I think the main thing is, the quarterback got way better. Sometimes in the NFL, it's just that simple. If your team's not winning, it's more than likely the quarterback's fault. And Jalen Hurts from last year to this year is a completely different player. Uh, he's a way better passer. His accuracy is way better. And they can lean on the passing game as opposed to having to run it. So I think those are the two pivotal things that have really turned the Eagles into a uh, Super Bowl contender. Elliot, on Tuesday's show, we took a real deep dive into the Eagles. And we're not going to sit here and pretend like we've watched every minute of Eagles football. But that's kind of the reason why we have you on. Um, Once we started doing that deep dive, we realized just how loaded this football team is and how good they are. Just about everything they do. Where does it start for you? Is, Is it the offensive line? Is it the Hassan Reddick? Is it Hurts? Is it the wide receiver? Where does it start for you with how good they've been? I mean, it's just so tough because, as you mentioned, they're loaded at every single position. I mean, I could start really anywhere, but if I had to go with the backbone of the team, like why are they for it? Why are they where they're at? I'd probably have to go the offensive line. They have one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL, if not one of the best coaches, period, and Jeff Stoutland. And what you see is they're able to shuffle guys in and out, and the line holds up. I mean, last week they put in a left tackle in Jeff, Jeff Driscoll, or Jack Driscoll, who had never played that position, at least not in a, in a game. And he went out and he played against one of the best pass rushers in the league in Jacksonville and held, held his own. So when you have an elite offensive line, something that you can really count on, it's so huge for the offense. So when they need to run the ball, they're able to run the ball because they have a great run-blocking offensive line. When they need Jalen to have time back in the pocket, he has that time because they're great pass blockers. So, ultimately, I think football, not to sound cliche, but it's one in the trenches, and when you have an elite offensive line, it's a lot easier to win. Yeah, we've, we've seen all the stories about Hurts and the run-pass option and how much they run it. Vance Joseph has been really good at taking away other teams' strength. He shut down yeah. Devontae Adams against the Raiders. He shut down Cooper Cup against the Rams. He 
didn't let Christian McCaffrey run against them last week. But I don't know, like, where do you start with the Eagles? Do you try to shut down Sanders, or is it Goddard, or is it Brown, or is it Hurts, or is it, you know, there's just too many weapons for the Eagles. Like, we've discussed this this week. I don't even know where you would start. So I'll ask you, if you had to, if you were a defensive coordinator and you had to take away one thing that the Eagles did well on offense, where would you start? I would start with A.J. Brown. Uh, I think A.J. Brown is kind of their bread and butter of the passing game. On third down, that's who they go to when they're they're struggling. I mean, you look at week one at Detroit, they fell behind early, and they went to A.J. Brown, and that got the offense going. Uh, Last week against Jacksonville, they struggled early. They went to A.J. Brown. That got the offense going. So I do believe A.J. Brown really is a huge part of what they do. I think it gives the whole offense confidence. I really think it gives Jalen confidence in the passing game. They have great chemistry. Uh, and when they're not working, I do think the offense slows down a little bit. But to your point, I mean, week one, Devontae Smith, former number 10, number 10 overall pick, Heisman winner, he had zero catches in week one. Week three, he had 150 yards and uh, I believe at least two touchdowns. So He's really, I mean, to your point, if you shut A.J. Brown down, it's not like they're going to a lower-level receiver at that point. You have uh, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the NFL, and then, of course, they can run it whenever they need to. So I guess you would start with Brown, but through four weeks, nobody has shown they can really slow down the Steelers offense. Elliot Shore Parks, Eagles beat writer for 94WIP in Philly, our guest here on the Bernstein Gambo Show. We've got uh, a comp complicated history around here when it comes to Hassan Reddick, given where he was drafted, how long it took him to develop, how long it took the coaching staff to figure out the best way to use him. And right when everybody figured it out, he left and he's been great everywhere he's been since he's been gone. How much of a difference has his acquisition been to that defense, Elliot? He's been huge. I mean, the Eagles, we talk so much about the offensive line. Uh, The other part of winning in that trenches is the defensive line. And last year, they were not good at getting after the quarterback. I believe they finished 31st in the league in sacks after finishing third the year before. So they had to do something. And they went out and, you know, to your point, like it, the, the fact that Son Reddick was even available, like to have double-digit sack seasons to be that age and to hit the free agency market and to get like not a huge deal, it is kind of interesting, right? So I think that they took a bit of a chance on him as being their premier pass rusher, but he has been that through four weeks. I think he's tied for the NFL lead in combined sacks and forced fumbles when he gets to the quarterback. He makes an impact play when he gets there, and they really figured out how to use him. He's not a guy they drop back into coverage a ton. They're not playing him at linebacker. They're just putting him on the edge and letting him get after the quarterback the majority of his snaps. And through four weeks, it's been a great result for them. Put him on the edge. Let him go after the quarterback. I wish the Cardinals would have figured that out the first three years he was here. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. I mean, gee, if they could have figured that out, yeah. they would have been able to keep the guy because he's a good football player. Well, I, he's interesting. He's interesting because I think sometimes players like him, I think you guys have a, another one in, in Isaiah Simmons, sometimes they can, they can almost be viewed as being able to do too much. The coaches just never let them become great at one thing. And I think that with the Eagles, they're allowing Hassan to be great at what he's great at. They're not forcing him into coverage. They're not putting him at linebacker. They're just telling him to get the quarterback, and he's really, really great. He's really, really good at that. So I think that sometimes it can be a danger for coaches, but the Eagles have done a good job using him. So what's it, what's it like for you in Philly right now? The Phillies are in the playoffs. The Sixers are one of the favorites to win it all. You've got the best team in the NFL with an undefeated yeah. record. I imagine times are good right now in Philly 
Philly Sports Talk Radio. Yeah, it's almost a little uncomfortable. You don't want them to be too good, right? I mean, I mean, like we're 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 so used to the team struggling here in Philly, but I think you can make an argument it's the best it's been in Philly for the last twenty years. Certainly, nobody's won a title yet of these teams. But as you mentioned, the Phillies haven't been in the playoffs in ten years. The Eagles are four and zero. The Sixers seem like they have a chance to do some things. We don't really talk about the Flyers because they're struggling right now. But outside of that, everything's great. But at the end of the day. This city's heartbeat is with the Eagles. So the fact that they look like Super Bowl contenders has everybody really excited. Elliot Shore Parks, Eagles beat writer for 94WIP in Philly, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. A, a question specific about Jalen Hurts. Is, is Philadelphia sold on him as the quarterback, or are you still in wait-and-see mode when it comes to him? It's a great question. I think that people are sold, and he's an interesting spot because he was a second-round pick. He's contract eligible at the end of this season. And with how he's playing right now, he would be a fool not to ask for a new deal at the end of the year if he keeps this up. So I think people... We like Jalen. They want Jalen to be the guy, and I think that they believe he is. But this is also a fan base that saw Carson go from MVP of the league in 2017 to being one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL a year later, right? So I think there's certainly some hesitancy. There's the fact that the contract is coming up. But ultimately, I think where fans view Jalen is he gives them a chance to win right now. Like right now, he's playing at a good enough level that they could win the Super Bowl this year. So fans are more in than they used to. Uh, and I think that, you know, that they're excited that they might have found their next franchise quarterback. Follow up on that. How much does that rookie level contract he's playing under, how much did that benefit the Eagles organization to be able to go spend the way they did this offseason? It benefited them this year, for sure. I mean, I think Jalen's cap hit is a little over a million and a half dollars. They were able to give, go out and give A.J. Brown big money. They paid Brad, uh, James Bradbury one year $10 million. We talked about the money they gave us on Reddick. So that certainly was a benefit. And if Jalen signs a big deal this offseason, that could impact things. But one thing the Eagles do have is they have a great front office that's really good at managing the cap. They know all the intricacies of the cap rule. They know how to get around it. They know how to squeeze money in. And they have an owner that signs a lot of uh, big signing bonuses, which makes life a lot easier for a general manager. So I do think Jalen Hurts lower cap hit certainly uh, impacts things, but if this team is really good and they have a lot of free agents at the end of the year, I'd be surprised if they lost guys in free agency. Elliot, we appreciate the time. We enjoyed the conversation. Tell everybody we know back there we said hi, okay? Will do. I'll make sure I tell Rod you miss him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. We Our former boss, Rod Lakin, out there in Philadelphia. That's Elliot Shore Parks from 94 WIP in Philly there, beat writer who joins us here on the Burns and Gambo Show. When we come back, Kyler Murray versus Jalen Hurts. So many similarities, it's hard to know where to start. We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show.